When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Billboard's Senior Director of Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hello, Katie. Hi, how are you? Hi, Keith. I'm doing good. How about you? Um, I'm fine. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Happy Valentine's Day slash post Super Bowl Sunday Monday. You're you're <laughs> always you're always my pop Valentine. Oh, that's so nice. This is the pop shop. We should have traded Valentines. Shoot. <laughs> next time, next year. Yeah. We'll, okay. get, we'll remember it then. Um, mm-hmm. Well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition. You can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about how the music of Encanto continues to hold firm atop both the Billboard 200 Albums chart and on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, and how Nicki Minaj and Little Baby blast straight in at number two on the Hot 100 with their collaborative single, Do We Have a Problem? Also on the show, we'll be taking a closer look at how Lady Gaga, who missed out on an Oscar nomination this year for House of Gucci, seems to be the latest example of the Oscars overlooking some of our favorite female music superstars who seemed poised for a nomination and yet missed the cut. I'm thinking about J-Lo and Hustlers. I'm thinking about a few of our favorite divas, so we're going to talk all about that later in the show. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit Billboard.com slash podcasts. All right. um, Actually, before we get to the chart chat, Katie, I'm going to rearrange the script on you. Oh, Um, well, I just figured we haven't talked about the Super Bowl yet. Right. We talked all about it last week, but now that it's actually happened, we haven't talked about it. And Katie and I haven't actually said boo about it to one another yet at all. Um, this is true. So, um, and are you allowed to say who your special guest was at your house on sure. Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, uh, I happen to have Pop Shop founder Jason Lipschitz pop into our house. He's uh, in Los Angeles for work, landed at LAX within minutes of kickoff for Super Bowl. 
And so I said, well, I live really close to the airport. Just come on over. And he did. So that and was he, fun. And he walked out of the airport to your house and probably got uh, there faster basically. Than, than taking a taxi. <laughs> basically. I mean, I think at that point, thankfully, like, you know, it wasn't Super Bowl traffic because hopefully people were already there who were going in right. the city of Los Angeles. But um, yeah, so I had it was actually really fun because we usually have a few people over for Super Bowl, but it was nice to have someone else working with me because, oh. you know, we're actually watching for work. Um, so we were able to, you know, do that as a, as a unit. And, uh, yeah, so we watched halftime together and he actually wrote up probably arguably the biggest surprise of the halftime show, which was 50 cent popping in when, I mean, we didn't think there was room for the people they already had announced on the lineup. And then they, they squeeze another human in there. Well, well, what, what did the two of you think in the moment of the show? Like what, what were your reactions uh, as, as halftime was going on? What was your kind of postmortem, you know, after the show was over with? I think it was mostly just how short it was. I mean, and we knew that was going to be the case too. Like it just flew by and we honestly my whole like house 13 could not minutes believe. and 20 seconds is how long was the actual, it really that's how long the actual performance was from the first from the beginning to the actual end when they stopped singing and they were just on stage together like basking we were in the glory. certain something else was coming and then nothing else came and so yeah i mean it just it definitely left you wanting more from all of the people and i'd say my second biggest surprise second to 50 cent popping up was Mary doing no more drama? Like, yeah. I did not expect her to get two solo song moments like that. We all knew Family Affair was coming, but she she did no more drama, too. Yeah, and it, and it sounded like it was, quote unquote, live vocals. It nothing's, did. Nothing's ever I'm, live on the Super Bowl. But I mean, generally speaking, yeah. no, nothing's ever live. But it sounded like she recorded new like live vocals for it to perform to. Yeah, I don't know that. I'm just sort of speaking out the side of my face. But um, it, it, this is not a criticism of the performances. It was, I just felt like there was just too many people, too many hits. But, you know, it's like, you know, every 30 seconds, you're like hit with like another incredibly familiar song by a huge star. And so it's like, yeah. Like that's a that's a wonderful problem to have if you just. I think have we a, all want you know. this tour now. Like that's what I want. I, like I will like take all my money. I want to go to this tour because, <laughs> I mean, it was just the, the biggest complaint as you and I are saying right now was too short, not enough, want more. I too thought short it was, wasn't there either. You know, he. Uh, yeah, been a great too short addition. didn't make the cut. No, but I thought it was so good. I loved every second of it. I loved all the little details. I loved the set. I loved um, I liked the set list that they chose. I, there are things that I wish they had not left out, but um, there just wasn't enough time for everything. So when we yeah. were wrong, California Love did not bookend it. No, Almost. it was the second song. Almost. Just the second song. Yeah. No. When they started doing that, I was like, already? We're already doing this? <laughs> no. We, but anyway, I think Jason and I both uh, really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And every um, year. Do it next year, too. The, and I, I was looking at the history of recent Super Bowls, and this was the first Super Bowl to happen um, on the West Coast in a bit of time, and meaning that halftime happened when it was still daylight. Ah, I didn't even it's think just, about that. That's it's interesting. Just, it's weird to see like a big sort of music performance in kind of broad daylight. Well, okay, but so SoFi, I'm not certain of this, but it's like open air, but it has a roof. 
So they could have retracted the roof if they wanted to. I No, I don't know that it's a retractable roof. I think there's just a roof on that is then oh. open air out of the side. So I think they're pretty much in control of the lighting in yeah. that setting, I think. I don't know. It, to me, it would have been... Did it feel like it felt like daylight to you? It didn't feel like indoor lighting? Yeah, it felt like... It, Interesting. It, it, it's like when you go back and watch the Michael Jackson Super Bowl halftime mm-hmm. performance, I'm like, it feels weird seeing Michael Jackson in broad daylight. Like, right. I, I, it should funny. be in, like, concert nighttime lighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's just such a tiny little quibble. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's move on to the chart chat. Let's do it. Uh, Walt Disney Records and Kanto soundtrack spends its fifth non-consecutive week at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, becoming the soundtrack with the most weeks atop the list since Disney's own Frozen ruled for or chilled for 13 huh. non-consecutive weeks in 2014. Now, with their totals at number one so far, Frozen and Encanto boast the most and second most weeks at number one, respectively, among soundtracks in the 21st century. So, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, I hear Encanto's popular. Uh, also in the top 10, both Yo Gotti and Mitski land their highest charting albums ever on the Billboard 200, as the former's CM10 Free Game debuts at number three, and the latter's Laurel Hell arrives at number five. Next up, over on the Billboard Hot 100, Encanto's We Don't Talk About Bruno tops the chart for a third week. The ensemble track ties for the most weeks at number one on the Hot 100 ever for a hit from a Disney movie animated or live action, Mm. mind you, matching the three-week reign of All for Love by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and friend of the podcast, Sting, Hmm. from the film The Three Musketeers in 1994. Bruno remains the most streamed song of the week in the United States, as well, according to MRC data. And in the February 4th through 10th tracking week, Bruno tallied 35.6 million U.S. streams, 5.5 million radio airplay audience impressions, and mm, a little over 8,000 downloads sold. Lastly, Nicki Minaj and Little Baby's Do We Have a Problem has no problem at all as it bounds straight onto the Hot 100 at number two with 24.4 million streams, 3.7 million in radio, and 48,000 sold in its first week following its release on February 4th. Minaj adds a 20th Hot 100 Top 10 to her tally. She is the 22nd artist to reach the milestone over the chart's history, which dates back to 1958, and the seventh woman after Madonna with 38, Rihanna with 31, Taylor Swift with 30, Mariah Carey with 28, Janet Jackson with 27, and Whitney Houston with 23 Top 10s. That's some nice company. Yeah, I'd say... Kinda. Legends only. Legends only. Divas only, people. Come on now. <laughs> um, and then they loved putting out that collaboration so much, they put out another one last week. They called did. Called Bussin. Yeah, maybe it came gonna, out maybe, on Friday. Maybe we're going to get like a whole collaborations album from the two of them. I wouldn't mind that. That's a good combo. And yeah, uh, yeah so we'll see if Bussin can uh, bust into the Hot 100 as hey, high. Puns. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that. Put your pun in over there. <laughs> All right, so... We talked a little bit last week about the Oscars and specifically the music nominations um, for song and for score. 
But Keith and I got to talking about something else we noticed from the nominations. Uh, They were announced last week, and some critics and a lot of fans on social media took notice of the absence of a certain pop superstar among the list of nominees for Best Actress, and that would be Lady Gaga for her role in the film House of Gucci. Uh, A role, by the way, that had garnered her acting nominations with the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the UK's British Academy Film Awards, also known as the BAFTAs, the Critics' Choice Awards, the Golden Globes, and even a win for Best Actress from the New York Film Critics Circle. Yeah, so this wasn't just like fans sounding off on Twitter. Like there, yeah. there's actual precedent for why we thought she was going to get nominated. It was. It wasn't just pissed off, you know, uh, 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 little monsters. Yeah, yeah, this which which happens too. Uh, Billboard's own awards editor, Paul Grine, called it a snub in a story for Billboard following the nomination's announcement, while Scott Feinberg, the senior awards analyst at Billboard's sister publication, The Hollywood Reporter, went so far as to write a story that was titled, What Happened to Lady Gaga's Oscar Nomination? Seriously, though, what happened? happened? Uh, So with all that said, we wanted to take a closer look at Lady Gaga's lack of an Academy Award nomination and how it feels like the latest example of the Oscars overlooking some of our favorite female music superstars. So for our research, we looked at the yearly actress and supporting actress nominees for some of the major precursor awards leading up to the Oscars, going back about 40 years or so. Specifically, the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the BAFTAs, and the Critics' Choice Awards. Plus, we looked at the actresses honored by the New York Film Critics Circle and the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Uh, Neither of those apparently have proper nominations. They just have winners each year, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, And it's important to note that these assorted awards and voting bodies that do these awards and make these, you know, associations and whatever, um, don't necessarily share any crossover with the voting members of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which puts on the Oscars. So, for example, the Golden Globes are decided on by a group of international journalists. The Critics' Choice Awards are based on, you guessed it, what a panel of film critics and journalists uh, like. The Screen Actors Guild Awards do certainly share membership with the Academy voters because uh, that is the uh, guild that represents actors in Hollywood, um, as does the BAFTAs. There's obviously crossover there. Uh, right. So, and, yeah. uh, and there just seems to be crossover in general for uh, these awards in what critics kind of decide is a movie or a performance worthy of an Oscar nomination. Like it, it, there, it feels like usually it is a precursor for these things. Yeah, like if 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 the New York film critics or the L.A. film critics say like, oh, you're the top actress of the year for this role, most likely it's a film that has been warmly embraced by critics and, in theory, the Academy. So, yeah, the two things would certainly go hand in hand. (laughs) Um, So um, in Feinberg's story and Scott's story um, that we noted earlier, he writes, quote, no leading lady meaning for this season that we're in, except Gaga, had received noms from the SAG Awards both as an individual and as part of her film's ensemble, Golden Globe Awards, Critics' Choice Awards, and BAFTA Awards. 
And she also won the prize of the snobbish New York <laughs> Film Critics Circle. Thanks, Scott. For Thanks, Scott. A little bit of <laughs> editorializing um, and yet, there. <laughs> and, and that's why we said it, we, we're quoting Scott there. Yes. <laughs> um, and yet, no Oscar nomination for Gaga. Instead, the best actress nominees this year are Jessica Chastain in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart in Spencer. Okay, so all this is to say, like, what happened with the Oscars? Like, why did she not get this nomination? And why? Scott also said in a separate story that he wrote for THR that, the quote, the Oscars have become harder than ever to predict because a significant portion of the Academy, the 20 to 25% who are based outside of the United States are largely not represented in the groups, which give out nominations before the Oscars and which we used to turn to for clues about what the Academy would do. Basically what Keith said, there's not always going to be overlap. Yeah. And and I think that's been part of the Academy's kind of drive to expand their membership over the past few years. So, um, you know, maybe just looking at the SAG Awards isn't the be all and end all to like what you thought would be the nominees for the Oscars, because there's going there's going to be a substantial number of voters voting for the Oscars now that just aren't even part of the Screen Actors Guild, possibly because they're outside of America. Right. Maybe. And I don't know. We don't know why she got passed over this year. She could have been super close. Who knows? But what we do know is that she is not the first female music superstar to get passed over for a nomination when like everyone sort of thought ahead of time that they had a really good shot at it, you know? Yeah. And and let's let's be clear, like Lady Gaga was like a really obvious like, well, of course. No, seriously, like I'm no, I'm like newly angered by hearing like the list of things that she was nominated for and then didn't get the Oscar nomination, honestly. So hopefully we've we've riled up our listeners, too. Okay, so so who else is there? Well, you don't need to look much further than this year. Yeah, uh, because Alana Heim of the rock band Heim um, was definitely a contender for Best Actress thanks to her role in Licorice Pizza. She had a Golden Globe nomination, a Critics' Choice nomination, and a BAFTA nomination, but no Oscar nomination. And the very first person that came to mind for me when Gaga did not get the nomination was Jennifer Lopez in Hustlers, which was like my favorite movie that year. <laughs> like, I love that movie, and JLo was so perfect in it. She got a SAG Award nomination for Supporting Actress. She got a Golden Globe nom for Supporting Actress. She won the LA Film Critics Association Award for Supporting Actress. And then when they announced nominations that year, no J-Lo. I just, I wanted J-Lo to be an Oscar-nominated actress. I, I think J-Lo probably wanted that, too, I would assume. I think, <laughs> I, I think we can have, like, sort of, theory. I think maybe at the end of this, we mm-hmm. can have, like, a potential theory for each one of these. Mm-hmm. So so we'll keep listeners in suspense. But I think at the end of this, there could be a reason why for all of these. So we'll move on. Okay. Um, further back in time, let's go back to the 1990s. What about, this might be a left field one, Bjork in Dancer in the Dark. She had oh, a golden... I love that movie. I owned that movie on VHS. Okay. <laughs> I, I went and saw like a live screening of that movie. It was three hours long at my on campus at Michigan State and I loved that movie. It was so good. And I don't know why I owned it because it's the most difficult rewatch of all time. That, why why like did saying, I buy like, that? I own Requiem for a Dream on VHS <laughs> exactly. and I love to watch it. Oh my lord. Anyway, um, 
incredible so, performance. So Bjork had a Golden Globe nomination for Lead Actress in a Drama, and she also won the Best Actress Award at the Cannes Film Festival. I realize Cannes isn't one of the, th- the measurements we were using here, but I but thought still. It, was a, it was a way to show that people thought it was a wonderful performance. Yeah. Um, but yet, no Oscar nomination. Uh, our girl Madonna in yeah, Evita, You had to bring up Madonna. <laughs> I did. Um, but she actually won the Golden Globe for mm-hmm. Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. And the year that she won, she beat out Frances McDormand in mm-hmm. Fargo, who would actually go on to win the Oscar that year. So I'm not allowed to say my opinion about why this one happened. Uh, or Let's hold, we're saving hold. that. Okay. I think we can save it at the end. <laughs> okay. Um, or, or what about Courtney Love? Of course, mm-hmm. uh, musician Courtney Love, also from the rock band Hole, um, who turned heads in the film The People versus Larry Flint um, and garnered supporting actress nominations uh, from the Critics' Choice Awards and the Golden Globes and won the supporting actress honor from the New York Film Critics Circle. Yet, no Oscar nomination. Okay, let's go back to the 1980s now. Cher, we, you know, love Cher on this podcast. She was nominated for two acting Oscars that decade. She won, of course, for Moonstruck for Best Actress. She missed out on an Oscar nomination altogether for the well-received film Mask, though she did get a Golden Globe nomination. And then we have Dolly Parton, who got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in Comedy or Musical in her film debut, 9 to 5. I can't believe that was her film debut. Yeah. Like, she is just so good in it. Um, she's just meant to be on screen. But she did not get an Oscar nomination for acting. She did get an Oscar nomination that year for Best Original Song for, of course, the film's title track, 9 to 5. Um, and sort of lastly, and we, we realize this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. There were there were um, individuals that we left out here um, and... Uh, but that is, we are not saying they were not possibly in in the conversation for whatever right. film that you may be thinking of. We just have to limit this in some capacity. Um, so, uh, one more with a hat tip to Paul Grine. Uh, consider for a moment the late great Doris Day, uh, the singer, actress, and all around entertainer, did get one Oscar nomination for the film Pillow Talk. But as Paul notes to Katie and I in a earlier email exchange. <laughs> um, uh, she was thought to be overlooked for her films prior to Pillow Talk, especially Love Me or Leave Me, opposite James Cagney, The Man Who Knew Too Much, opposite Jimmy Stewart, and, of course, Calamity Jane. I watched Calamity Jane in, like when I was taking film classes in oh. college. Um, so, okay, of the folks that we talked about, mm-hmm. I have some theories as to why. yeah. The J-Lo one, I think there may have been some Academy voters who felt that the content of the film and the role that J-Lo was playing, that of a stripper, um, was perhaps maybe not something that was savory to them. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm going to take issue with that one right away because people get nominated all the time for playing like serial killers. You know, like I'm thinking about Charlize Theron as Eileen Warnos and Monster, you know, like I don't think I, I think it's more about J-Lo than about the film personally. Maybe. Do you do you think that there were voters who were saying, oh, this wasn't actually hard for Jennifer Lopez to do because she was basically an entertainer? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think I think it's twofold. I think not, I don't think it's so much the savory aspect that the film maybe was more of like a trifle. Like, I feel like mm. the film itself was too lightweight for them, maybe like, you know, it 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 was like a popcorn movie versus like a serious um, dramatic 
movie, even though, I mean, we all know that it was not like, I mean, if you watch it, it's more than that. But yeah, it's, I think it's, it's more Chuckles film. I mean, I think it's more about about J-Lo and the celebrity around J-Lo. Right. And I actually think that that brings me to like the central thing being the kind of dichotomy that's always existed with Golden Globes and the Oscars, where one, the Globes, the one that comes first, the one that doesn't take itself as seriously, has always been like, you know, uh, like a moth to a flame when it comes to celebrities. They love celebrities, not just musicians. We're talking about Johnny Depp and people who get nominated for like every role they do because they just love these like, you know, cults of personality that these people have like around a group them. It's like a hundred journalists that get to go to parties with these nominated people. They're curating people. the yeah. list of people that they get to rub elbows with, right? And so there's always been that piece of it that they've been very into celebrity and it's like on the Oscar side, they are not obviously opposed to celebrity, but that I feel like the people who have the kind of celebrity cachet have to work harder to get the nomination, whether it's a pop star or like a, you know, a Tom Cruise or something, you know, like somebody who's just like a gigantic name. It's like you have to work twice as hard in a movie to get the recognition. So and I think, oh, I, I just think that they're they're worried that nominating a Jennifer Lopez might like look beneath them or something. That's kind of what I feel is the deal. Well, I think for j-lo like if you had nominated her for like you know the wedding planner that would have been inappropriate but has she she's never been nominated and she had selena was her first movie and then out of out of sight yes if you were going to nominate j-lo for something hustlers would have been a completely could have been a really good like makeup call for the many years they've ignored her (laughs) um i think if we go back to gaga i think Mm -hmm. house of gucci itself was a very polarizing film and i yes. think a lot of folks lots of critics took issue with sort of like the scenery chewing and the uh um uh interesting uh, the over the top italian accents yes. yes yes where people were sort of criticizing that and then or you know are they russian who knows or are they russian and <laughs> and you know as i believe um scott pointed out in one of his stories that perhaps um kind of the the Oscar campaign that a lot of individuals kind of go on to help raise awareness of their films and also possibly an Oscar nomination. Maybe Lady Gaga's campaign um, tired some people out, mm. perhaps, because, I mean, I saw all over my Instagram and social media where, you know, she would talk about, you know, her 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 acting style and how, you know, how she stayed in character for so long. and How she wanted like, there to be a sex scene with Salma Hayek. Right. <laughs> and it became a meme. And it's almost like, well, yeah, but yeah. like, with it, so like, you know, I think that may have ultimately worked against her. And also like it was the, the double whammy of the content of the of the role, plus perhaps the campaign. I don't really know. We should mention, though, that Gaga was nominated for acting for A Star is Born. So yes. it's not like the Oscars are anti-Gaga. No. And so we should like it. It to your point, I I think it has way more to do about the reception to the movie House of Gucci than it, than it necessarily does about Lady Gaga. But it might be one of those things like she has to like cross a, a higher hurdle as Lady Gaga, the yeah. like bold face name. Unfortunately, you know? that's that's the way it works when you're a pop superstar diva. Where but you now, have to, like, I mean, Kristen yourself. Stewart is nominated for her first Oscar, and I'm sure that hurdle she had to go over that too as like Twilight Girl. You know, yeah. and she did it. Yeah. So th- maybe they were both fighting for that last spot. Who knows? I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, well, we well we said how we were going to talk about all the other ones. I think um, with Haim, I think it may have been just like it was a competitive field, and yeah, she is kind of an unknown uh, entity when it comes to acting. So perhaps you know the voters were like. I don't know, is she an actress or is she just playing herself on screen? We don't really know. I mean, that I'm not saying that's my opinion. I'm saying that's what people may mm-hmm. think of when they see a musician on screen. If they don't really know about them, they may have this perception of like, okay, I don't know. Is, is this just like her? We don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can also work against you, too, because if you're like someone like Lady Gaga or Jennifer Lopez and you're playing some version of a singer or entertainer on stage in a film... That can either hurt you or help you, mm-hmm. you know, depending on who you are. Um, I think for some of the other folks that we mentioned, I think you know Bjork was probably just like, this is a, a challenging film that may be too much for the Academy to sort of ingest. And they're like, is Bjork an actress or is she really just a singer with like the right fluke role? You know, Madonna had been kind of, frankly, a joke as an actress for, for a very long time. And... You know, considering that she lip synced the the entire role in Evita, it was sung through. You know, I think that was probably working against her because mm. people were saying, "Is she really just? Is this one long music video, or is she really hmm. acting?" And I think that probably hurt her. Um, and just because you've won a Golden Globe doesn't necessarily mean a whole heck of a lot sometimes, especially in the musical comedy category. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Courtney Love, I think again, it was like her first big film role, and I think. Some Academy voters, despite the fact that her co-star, Woody Harrelson, got an Oscar nomination for that film, I think they may have been looking at her like, okay, this loose cannon, is she really just Courtney Love on screen kind of playing this role, or is she really acting? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so there's some thoughts about those. Um, I mean, You know, we didn't even mention Beyonce and Dreamgirls, did we? Because, like, Jennifer no, Hudson got the nomination. I, I researched Beyonce, and Beyonce okay. did have an, a Golden Globe nomination for yeah. Dream Girls. But I mean, it was the J-Hud show when it came to that. Like, that's why she she missed out on it. Right, and I didn't mention Mariah Carey, who did not have a Golden Globe nomination for Precious. Mm-hmm. But did a lot of people did um, say, like, wow, Mariah is amazing in this. And, and yeah. you know, she, she did have some notices from other uh, awards like the mm-hmm. NAACP Image Awards mm-hmm. and things like that, but I think w- when I was researching, I'm like, look, Gabrielle Sedebe was nominated for Best Actress in Precious. Monique was nominated and won for Best Supporting Actress from Precious. I think there probably wasn't a whole lot of room left for anyone yeah. else to possibly yep. get in there from Precious, including yep, Mariah, sure. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I didn't talk about the other ones like Dolly and Cher, but I mean, should we? <laughs> No, I think I think people get the idea. And I Sorry. think uh, I think I don't think there's a conspiracy. We should say there's not a conspiracy against pop stars like in, you know, in the Oscars. I don't think I just think maybe it's just way more competitive. I mean, the other thing we, I guess, didn't mention yet for Golden Globe specifically is that 10 lead actresses are nominated every year because there's two separate categories, drama and then musical comedy. Yeah. So. You know, getting nominated or winning a Golden Globe is not necessarily uh, going to get you into one of those five spots for the Oscars. And and and, and you know, we were specifically researching um, female um, singers, uh, mostly in light of the fact because of Lady Gaga uh, being contemporary this year, as well as Haim um, and J Lo in recent memory. Um, that's not to say that um, male musicians have never not been nominated for Oscars. Obviously, Will Smith has. 
Um, There's not as many examples of of men who attempt it, though, I'm realizing, like attempt that level of I mean, Frank Sinatra won an Oscar, you know. Yeah, um, but I'm thinking about just on the level of like a Gaga or J-Lo, if you're talking about like Justin Timberlake has obviously acted, but, you know, never gotten awards attention on that front. Like he was in the social network, which got a lot of awards attention, but not for him. Right. It's Yeah. I mean, when you think of sort of like our, our biggest sort of male kind of pop rock stars of like the past like 30 years who are kind of like individual entities like, oh, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, Prince, like it's not the same thing. They all have some like weird one off examples or like obviously Purple Rain, you know, right. but like, yeah, no, it's actually interesting to think about it that way. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, it's a, just, that's a topic for another podcast. Topic for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> Where um, are the clear- men in the movies? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we have a lot of thoughts on this. Okay, well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. This week in 1998, the girl group Destiny's Child, which included future Oscar nominee Beyonce, got their first top 10 hit on the Hot 100 with No, No, No. The track rose 16 to 8 on the chart dated February 14th, 1998, and would eventually peak at number 3 in March of that year. The group, in its various lineups, would garner a total of 10 top 10s, including four number 1s. Beyonce would, of course, go on to land her own plentiful Hot 100 career as a solo artist, with 18 top 10s so far under her glittery belt. Hmm. She most recently visited the top 10 in late 2017 via her guest turn on Ed Sheeran's Perfect. Perfect initially came out as a solo track, and then it was mm-hmm. issued later in a sort of a remix form with Beyonce, but and that's it what went to number one, one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you have it. This week in 1998. Destiny's Child said yes, yes, yes to the Hot 100 as their track No, No, No became the girl group's first top 10 hit. All right, we've reached the end of our big show. I feel like I completely went off the rails in that Oscar talk and just at some Uh. point you were just looking at me like, are you ever going to stop talking? (laughs) I was actually just thinking about uh, that Destiny's Child song, No, 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 always makes me think of um, Wyclef was on like the the remix version of it. And he calls them the Young Supremes in that song, like in his verse. All I'm trying to do in the hood is stay alive. Make a little money with Destiny Child. Thugs hit a song to dance. They go wild like Texas. They moving like No Limit Soldiers. It went from a dream to the Young Supreme scene. And I always thought, like, wow, you're very prescient. Like, they actually, like, that's a pretty apt analogy. And when you think about how Beyonce's kind of become the Diana a little bit of the group and, and all that, like, it's a pretty it's a pretty solid analogy. It's funny, like, you know, sometimes, um, what, what is that, what is that phrase called? Bra, braga, braga, Braggadocious? Bra, the, you know, when like hip hop stars are very like, you know, I've got, I'm flossing, I've got all yeah. of this, I'm the best yeah. in the world and they're the greatest and you're yes. the greatest and we're the greatest together. It's very hyperbolic. Yeah. So in this specific example, when you're working on a really new like lead single, basically, from a, a young teenage group. 
Like, and you say that they're like basically the, the, the next Supremes. You tag them the young Supremes and you're right. You were right. <laughs> now, at the time, did you think that you were going to be right? I don't know. Maybe he also did a remix for 702 and <laughs> said the same thing. <laughs> no shade to 702. I love where my girl's at. Yeah, go ahead and try to save it now, Katie. <laughs> um, so what song should we go out on? I mean, where my girl's at, obviously. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.